This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is sponsored by BT, because BT means business. BT knows that businesses come in many shapes, sizes and guises, from the person just starting out at their kitchen table to the biggest employer, which is why no matter what line of work you're in, they've got your back to help you succeed and do what you do best. No doubt connectivity is a must in Westminster, and it certainly helped us to get this episode created and distributed to you listening right now. BT already connects more than 1 million businesses and public sector organisations, offering secure and reliable connectivity. Nearly three quarters of people running a business or side hustle feel they couldn't do so without reliable broadband and mobile connectivity. That's why having connectivity you can count on is a must for business, whether it be facilitating multiple devices being connected at once or making team calls or guest Wi-Fi access for customers. BT's connectivity helps keep you and your customers happy. Whatever your business, BT's got your back. Search BT's got your back. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. Hello and welcome to the Red Box Politics Podcast from The Times. I'm Matt Chorley. This week, it seems like everyone is talking about Brexit with Jeremy Corbyn, David Lidington, Liam Fox, John Major and Theresa May all giving speeches. So we're going to talk about something else. Lessons in money, funding our old age and adults watching children's films. Don't forget to sign up to my free morning email at thetimes.co.uk forward slash red box it's like the podcast but somebody's printed it out this week i'm joined in the studio by james kirkup red box regular columnist and head of the social market foundation think tank on politicians avoiding the sensible choice times columnist david ivanovich is in a mood at the movies but first times property and money editor Anne ashworth on a new power failure The government is to impose a price cap on popular energy tariffs, but only from next winter. This is yet another reminder of an awkward truth. Households on these expensive tariffs are being penalised for their loyalty to a supplier. They are subsidising sharp-elbowed middle-class people who know that loyalty doesn't pay and routinely shop around for the best deal on energy, insurance, loans, whatever. It's about time we had financial literacy lessons in schools and at university, which taught us all to be active consumers, holding businesses and the government to account. And it's particularly topical, of course, because we are we are bracing ourselves for the arrival of the beast from the east. Uh, the winter is going to bring cold weather, we're told. Uh, and so th- it's this week that the government has chosen to announce this plan to cap energy bills, but not in time for the current cold spell that we're going through. And let's remember just exactly how much people pay for the average energy bill. It's around about £1,100, except if you've been switching in the last couple of weeks when you could have cut it to about £879. That's quite a big saving. But the people who do this... Uh, people like me and the readers of The Times, who are never that far from a price comparison site, always trying to get a really, really good deal. Whereas apathy reigns out there. Most people assume that their supplier will repay them for their loyalty. The reverse is true. And the sooner we all wake up to that, the better. Is it not something that uh, maybe uh, sort of... A traditional right-wing view about taking personal responsibility. You know, the options are there to switch. If you don't, then that's your lookout. I think that people imagine it's all very complicated and they'll be jumping from the frying pan into the fire, say. 
also you need a certain amount of nerdy patience to sit on a price comparison site and recognize when the suppliers are trying to game each other on their pricing also referring to ratings on service which is important with an energy supplier so the advantage is all with the savvy consumer of which there are many but there are a great many more people out there who imagine it's too difficult and they won't necessarily save the amounts that are promised david are you a are you a savvy switcher no i i, I theoretically ought to fit the profile uh, shouldn't <laughs> I? but i just cannot find myself bothered by this um i mean for, personally I'm, i i i might be bothered on the part of the people who are genuinely poor i am much much more concerned about let's say energy conservation i'm t incredibly aware that actually i could probably save a vast amount of money whatever system i was uh, uh, was working under if i was to do some fairly kind of basic ordinary things in order to insulate the house etc which is an old victorian Pile. And then we are, I think, still one of the worst countries for energy conservation. Now, that doesn't mean that what Anne says is wrong. It just says, you say price comparison site. I hear the words price comparison site. By the time you get to the word site, I'm off the edge. Really. It's, like, it's like, you know, I'm one of these people, and a lot of us, I haven't filled in any expenses in this place for a decade because I just cannot be bothered. I could right, just look at the bloody forms. And, and, and that's what an economist would call revealed preference. I mean, yeah, what that says is that actually you don't think it's worth your time. And actually, this is you're kind of, you're absolutely right. I mean, you, you could get a better deal, but you don't need one. Uh, and this is the problem with this is the problem with with the whole switching agenda. And actually, I, I agree that it would be good to educate people, get everyone to switch a bit more. But the, the reality of markets, and this is sorry, I'll try not to bang on as too much because I do this for a living, uh, yeah, is that you can make the market better. You can get everyone to switch a bit more. If you, if all of us in this room switch more often, you go from twice a year, once every two years, once every once every year, we all get a better deal. The suppliers will maintain their market their margins they will yeah and says absolutely rightly yeah they yeah they yeah, they will call force loyal customers to subsidize us our prices uh and that's something that you know i think you know, needs to be you what do we mean by loyal customers if you well, don't mind me asking ah, the well. idea of loyalty to an energy supplier to be a completely ridiculous yeah, no, 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 no,
no. where you sign up with them once and they do all the flipping That's, for it's you. Called, it's, it's called flipping. <laughs> it is called flipping. It's called flipping. They're called sharp yeah. elbow. Mm. A man after my own heart. Um, really, you are. So I'm doing what you're telling me to do, which is switching, but I'm being like David and I'm not doing it mm. myself. And, and, this, and this is where disruption is going to come into financial services. We've been tremendously apathetic about moving banks. People whine about their bank. Will they move? No. But there are coming in all these app-based banks that provide a much better service. And if you if you look in the wallets of your young colleagues, which I always do because it's a bit of market they, they, research. They, they, won't, they won't have wallets, they'll have phones. They, they have cards from these new banks, which they feel are doing a better job for them. So whatever way we get there, I just feel we need to be better informed. We did a big um, event last week at Times Money with Martin Lewis, the money-saving expert, trying to debunk all the myths about student loans. And the conversation turned to why aren't they teaching more of this kind of stuff at university? And I think those are lessons for life that we definitely need. Well, they're not teaching anything at university this week, are they? Because they're, they're all on strike. But um, what do you... I, I take your point about you know young people and dynamic apps and all that sort of stuff, but isn't the, the problem that all that, that's going to do is reinforce the rump, the inert rump, are, are, st- are going to get ripped yeah. off even more. Yeah. And subsidising the rest in the way that there is a h- millions of people who have not benefited from the era of low interest rates. While middle classes had the most extraordinary discounted mortgage deals, there were loads of people paying 23% or more or 1,500% on credit cards. During the era of low interest rates, credit card charges actually went up. So again... The people who are less well-off subsidise the well-off middle classes. You're, 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 you're absolutely right about the, the, the fintech revolution, all this clever, clever, clever banky stuff that will do it all for you. That's being aimed at people like us. It's not, you know, the product, those products are not for the people, the people at the bottom. It, it will reinforce, yeah, reinforce the All I would say is that there is a sort of tech utopia out there that, don't worry, we, we can all tool up with AIs and turbo, turbocharged market intermediaries that will get us the best deal. Guess what? The suppliers are already doing it and they're getting bigger, better, better AIs than you're going to be able to buy. So they're, they're trying to work out how to game Flipper and all the other intermediaries. That is the arms race of markets. They, oh, you're, you're already mm-hmm. damn. <laughs> By the time you get out of <laughs> well, here, they'll have done it. By the time yeah. you've got you'll a robot to do it, they will. Where's, where's my inertia? Just very quickly, what could, the, what could or should the government be doing about this? Because obviously the Jeremy Corbyn solution to this problem is nationalise all the energy companies and presumably he can decide what the, what the price is that we pay. So what, what, what could the government be doing other than education? Let us not get into the cost of renationalisation, which of the six biggest energy supplies would be about 124 billion. I think I saw a figure today. I Tom just McDonald's think says it won't be anything. Well, that's up to him. <laughs> I'm believing the source I read. I just feel that we need to empower our children from the earliest possible age so that they can get clever with money. And my one big tip is if you want to get your child to recognise the value of money, never pay by contactless in front of them because it's much better to count out the, the money, the change, so they recognise the price of everything. And I was told that by a billionaire about his way to get rich. Well, every time Anne comes on, she lectures our listeners. So they, our listeners should be the most no, no, financially savvy. 
It's advice. No, it's it is not. advice. No, I, I was praising it. I wasn't complaining. I think this is what our listeners want. Uh, so hopefully you've got the message loud, loud and clear. Get switching. Or if you've got as much money as David, just sit back and just let it all disappear out of your badly insulated house. <laughs> <laughs> just chuck another bundle of 50s on the fire. <laughs> right, uh, let's move on then to the dementia tax. This is James Kirker. Never underestimate how far politicians will go to avoid doing something sensible. Damien Green, the former First Secretary of State, is back and he says we should fund social care by raising national insurance. It's a daft idea, and uh, it's dreamt up to avoid taking money from the most obvious place. Britain's £7 trillion of scandalously undertaxed housing wealth. There is a simple way of funding our elderly care, bring back the dementia tax. So we won't dwell too long on... The, the speed with which Damien Green has gone from scandal hit resignation from the cabinet to offering up his policy solutions to the grateful nation. Uh, a sinner that repenteth. What is the significance, do you think, of him putting forward this, given that he was technically he was, in charge well, He of was policy? when he was in the cabinet office uh, as de facto deputy prime minister. He was in charge of social care policy in the aftermath of the uh, general election where, where the Tories put forward the dementia tax and then dropped it. Um, I mean, it's worth noting that under Damien's stewardship, and, you know, uh, he's a good man in many ways, policy ran into the sand. Uh, I mean, there, was a, there was a green paper team that was slowly disbanded and nothing really happened. It, that's now gone over to, you know, to, to, to Jeremy Hunt, who, um, your fantastic act of masochism, has insisted on, on taking ownership <laughs> of, so, uh, of social care policy, which, uh, well done him. But yeah, so obviously what, what he's got, what Damon Green has got to say on this will, will, will be listened to, I'm sure. Um, I just think, yeah, I, I, yeah, the number of uh, politicians I know who acknowledge privately that yeah, the sensible thing to do is yes tax housing a bit more because we've got a massive a massively inflated yeah, property sector that doesn't get taxed properly uh yes that's where we should look for it There's dementia tax there may be maybe a few design problems with about the right approach to take for this stuff, uh, but oh yeah, God, we can't do that because everybody will hate it. We, we 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 can't possibly have a difficult conversation with the voters about uh, about something they might not like. And property editor, what do you make of the idea of taxing our homes? Well, it might surprise you to learn that an awful lot of people I speak to in property actually think the whole system should be reformed. Take, for example, stamp duty. A lot of people think instead of asking a rich buyer to pay a whole pile of stamp duty, you should cut it in half and oblige him or her to pay a very high level of council tax for the next 10 or 20 years, thus directly contributing to their local area. Now, We've just seen a series of reforms within inheritance tax that enables you to leave a house up to the value of one million pound tax free. Was that the right thing to do? Or is our wealth, (laughs) is our housing wealth the natural place for us to pay for our social care in our old age? A great many people think so, whether they will say so and support (laughs) initiatives or policies of that kind is another issue. But the, but the 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 point the, I suppose it's the point that uh, James is making as well is that politicians trying to square what they think should be done with what can be sold politically. That policy of increasing the inheritance tax threshold to a million pounds is the one that George Osborne announced, which stopped Gordon Brown calling a general election in yeah. two thousand and seven. Yeah. So it's not it, you know that's how potent it is. Because um, the average um, house is not worth anywhere yeah. near that. Still, it's around about two hundred and fifty thousand. But there is this visceral fear of 
the property owning classes, people who are relying for their wealth on in old age on their property. They won't have anything mm. built near them. They and, won't have this principal and, asset and more tax. And they're more likely to vote than people who, don't, who are younger yeah. and don't have property. But, but, in terms of, but look to the future, oh politicians. If we've got a generation of, of people who are going to grow up and aren't, be able to, you aren't able to buy their own houses, they're not going to vote on the basis that you're, you're not taxing property. They wouldn't quite like it if you promised to tax property. And David, presumably they could start taxing your house more and you wouldn't notice no. you wouldn't do anything about it. Um, Actually, I'm much more traumatised at the moment by the cost of replacing sash windows. I have to tell you, it's absolutely <laughs> bloody extraordinary. But and is the government is the government doing anything oh, to help? Oh, they no, they're no, 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 scandal. Where's the? There are two issues here. There's how you fund a particular uh, problem that we have to do, i.e., social care, and then there's the general, much more general question of how we raise taxation overall. Or I've always been in favour of uh, maintaining high levels of inheritance tax. I don't believe that inheritance inheritance wealth, inherited wealth yeah, yeah. is particularly good for anybody, and cutting it doesn't solve any social problem or any other kind of economic problem I think we've ever got. But it is, however, as we know, a large number of people imagine that they could somehow or other fall into the category even when they don't and they couldn't. Yeah. So here's another thing for your civic education. And the other thing is, <laughs> and I completely agree, it's not just houses that are a source of wealth, but land is a source of wealth. Mm. Uh, and wealth is a source of wealth, frankly, wealth you've already got. We have a diminishing base for income tax, uh, you know, uh, population getting older, uh, but we have a significantly increasing basis for wealth taxing and so on. So we should be taxing differently and we should be taxing more widely. Um, and sooner or later, we're going to have to do that. And then can I just introduce the, the concept also when we talk about land, council tax revaluation, oh, yes. which is what George... Mm. Which, which let's, let, let's not rush um, into, let's not rush into that. Jeremy Corbyn, <laughs> the greatest radical mm. there since mm. George Lansbury in the Labour Party, and you find me one really major a radical policy that he's come up with which would actually sort out that not one there isn't one. Renationalisation doesn't even begin to cut it. Uh, tax, complete tax reform, that would begin to cut it, mm. but it would be hugely difficult. Why? Oh, old friend, everybody who loses anything screams like hell and anybody who gains anything keeps stum. Just on the, the issue of linking wealth and social care, isn't there an unfairness in that, in that some people will quite happily live to a ripe old age go in the night, never rely on social care. Others will find it's essentially a lottery, you know, they, they could end up having years and years and years of care. If you link it to wealth, that's it. Your ability to fall yeah, absolutely. to acquire yeah, care I'm, is I'm not linked not, to I, your I'm not the, income. I mean, I'm not, that, that was essentially the, the key design flaw of the dementia taxes put forward. And it's not, not my policy. I, I, I say I'm in favour of it because I, I, I like to get politicians towards the point where they, where they talk about taxing. Yeah, taxing has well. Yeah, I, the, the, the different differentials of care uh, of care costs are, are, are the big problem. Um, yeah. yeah, and that's basically why you know. You, but ultimately, life is unfair, and that's why we have a <laughs> stick that uh, on your poster. Uh, yeah, 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 vote me, vote me. If you have, if you have, if you have a significant long-term cancer problem that re- renders you disabled, then in that case, we expect the state to pick yes, up absolutely. The that's that's, for that's it. why. But Alzheimer's, we don't. This makes no, no sense. No. It's not fair. It means it puts you completely up the hazard. We believe in this country in pooled risk, yeah. so we pool it. We, we provide a, a, a pooled remedy. I mean, you know, what, what you've just described is you know, someone who dies slowly versus someone who dies quickly. 
compare that to two people who in middle age, one of whom is perfectly healthy, one of whom has a chronic condition requires a lot of hospital treatment. Yeah, that's why we yeah, we have yeah. a, a universal healthcare system funded by, by taxation, which means we, we are we are essentially removed from the costs of our the costs of the unfairness, the lottery, the lottery of, uh, of life. So I, I'd rather see some sort of property taxation, whether or not it's higher inheritance tax or uh, you know, capital gains tax on primary residences, maybe levied at the point of death, uh, you know, used to fund a you know, a central Centralized national care system integrated with the NHS, but that's um, can I not hypothecate either? Don't don't get me started on hypothecation. Bad idea. Can I note here that James has just mentioned? He said the unsayable, the idea that the would be capital gains tax on the principal private residents, because the biggest tax break that people in London and the South East have is to be able to sell their primary residence tax-free. Now, we've seen creeping rates of capital gains tax on the sale of second homes and rental homes. Every politician would really like to be able to get at those untaxed gains, but none of them from any party could ever speak those words because it would be electoral suicide. Wouldn't you agree with me on that? Probably, yes. Maybe I mean, 25 generally years. If, from... I generally find if, if I agree with something, it's probably a bad idea politically. Um, <laughs> right. I, I'm the last person you, you, you should get advice from when I win an election. But, I mean, but equally, I still have this naive, naive belief that maybe, just maybe, the politicians are a bit more honest and a bit more brave. They can stand up and say, look, you're not going to like this. It's difficult, it's painful, but it's a good thing to do. Developers have been told to hold off putting in planning permission before the council elections in May for fear of that any local politician would be seen to promote development and want more homes built in their area for fear of losing uh, votes. Well, I'm sure we'll come back to the local elections um, in May. In a moment, we'll be discussing what David Ivanovich isn't watching at the cinemas. We'll be back after this break. What's that? You wake up every morning wanting to know what's going on in politics and you want it in your inbox just after 8 o'clock with some jokes. Sign up to my morning email briefing, thetimes.co.uk forward slash red box. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. Welcome back to the Red Box podcast. I'm actually joined in the studio by Anne Ashworth, James Kirkup, and this is David Ivanovich. There's a lot of excitement about the new black superhero movie. Before that, there was a lot of excitement about Wonder Woman, we haven't yet had gay tiger guy or super acid, but those may be a matter of time, and it leaves me all completely cold. These are kids' movies that infantilised adults spend fortunes making, discussing, or going to see. They have nearly no redeeming features. Actually, I wrote that earlier. Actually, they have no redeeming features. <laughs> so stop it already. <laughs> 
Right, so, so have you seen Black Panther? No. <laughs> well, what Excellent. would be the point of my saying that these are ridiculous infantilised well, movies may, that no one you, should go and see and then I go and see them? You may right. have done some, done some research. Has anybody here seen Black Panther? No. No, but I've been at the cinema uh, where to well, see the queues. No, I've, 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 I've walked past no, them as well. No. I saw the massive queues of people trying to get into the screening of Black Panther at my local cinema, and you could, there was visible excitement. They were going to hear the Kendrick Lamar soundtrack. They were going to see loads of strong women, who women who weren't strong in all the same kind of way, and there was a palpable excitement about it. Are you not questioning the whole of kind of myth that has been with us since the the dawn of time. I mean, you could might even start saying that the Iliad and Odyssey were sort of adventure movies that infantilised people. I mean, they are. They're Game I've of never seen David and Lost for words. I'm not lost for words. I'm not lost for words at all. I'm always going to let Anne pull out this absolute ridiculous... Odysseus and Leotard. Yeah. Kapow, wham. The reason why they spend so much money, there are, I think there's something like 30 more of these movies in production mm. right now and so on. It's because Hollywood found it was losing a lot of its money in the box or domestic box office. So it had to create a stereotype type picture which succeeds again and again abroad with the minimum of decent dialogue, no ambiguity and so on. Human life is full of ambiguity and actually, incidentally, there is a lot of bloody ambiguity in the, in the, in the Odyssey and in the Iliad. A and, hell of a lot, but there in, is none. And in the original Marvel comics. Now, I'm not, I'm not necessarily. I, I can't. I can't defend Black Panther because I haven't seen it. Uh, in terms of dialogue, watch yeah, watch the Avengers written by Joss Whedon. Uh, if you want, if you want snappy dialogue, that, yeah, that, that is. I don't want good. snappy dialogue uh, okay. all the time. Well, so that's what you're dialogue. complaining about. You're, you're, you're getting you're a snappy no, dialogue. No, 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 there was no wit. No, 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 but I think right. Go, go, go back. Go back. <laughs> I to, didn't actually say that, but never Go back. You probably said it. I don't know. We can edit it to make you make it. You did. Go back to the original comics. These are based on. I'm not going to defend defend the films and I, yes I, I was a teenager geek for a year re, re, reading X reading you were reading X, stuff when you were a teenager yeah yeah X, what on earth what is wrong with you you're supposed <laughs> to have got out of that habit by the time you're about 11 uh, and, so on. and then I, you go and then I, you go on to something I, else I grew, I grew and to spend a vast amount of money I grew up in the countryside I'm adding to this by discussing this but the very fact that our kind of cultural establishment gets into the business of serious discussion about representation in these absolutely worthless movies which are only people only go to because their friends all go to and which now cannibalise each other and extend each other and extend the kind of you know the cultural I 13, range of I want to add something well firstly David gets enough snappy dialogue on the Times <laughs> comment desk so he doesn't need to get it when he goes to the cinema secondly I'd like to add Star Wars to this pile I can't stand oh. Star Wars and my wife and everyone else in our house is obsessed with it and to me it's absolute cobblers anything with aliens and wizards People with pointy feet, Harry uh, Potter, uh, all of them. These are children's films that should be watched by children. And the way that adults uh, treat them, like the Star Wars high movie, literature, uh, I, I find maddening. So, David, when you're on the tube and you see a grown-up reading a Harry Potter <laughs> book, Oh, God, I'd move away. Do you take them to task and say Middlemarch would be better? I, no, 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 I don't take them. No, there are, actually, there are lots more modern uh, uh, novels and so on, and there are lots more things, even in the kind of adventure genres, which are much more taxing than that and so on. But no, on the whole, I think that by that kids' books are for kids and adults' books are for adults. Look, we know that the world is actually a very kind of complicated place. Our emotions are complicated. 
I think that it is better for adults on the whole to explore the complexity of the universe rather than to self-infantilise and go into the business where black is white and white, where black is black and white is white and you have a mission and you go ahead and do it in exactly the same way over and over and over I'm going to try and make the case for, for, for Marvel Comics. Um, uh, and, not these uh, movies. Uh, not the movies. Uh, well, this is about and, these movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, we'll, we'll have another discussion next time about and, Marvel and, Comics. And, okay, all right, but, 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 but moving pictures based on Marvel Comics. Uh, I, haven't, I, haven't, I haven't seen Black Panther. I have watched, I have watched Punisher, the, ne- the Netflix... Uh, the Netflix series, series, but you're based on the Punisher. The Punisher, the Punisher is a comic yeah, written in the uh, early early seventies after, uh, after uh, early seventies after, uh, after the Vietnam after the Vietnam War, which explores moral ambiguity, right and wrong, in, yeah, intervention, radio yeah, retribution. So you want to watch something and, about the Vietnam War? Well, watch well watch okay watch watch Punisher on, on Netflix because yeah, there's an awful lot in there about masculinity, male ro- yeah, male roles and culture, post traumatic stress, Western intervention. Yeah, it, yeah, it, it's 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 proper grown up stuff. So what would you think we should all be going to see at the cinema now? What's the best film you've seen lately? Oh, Lady Bird is one of the best films that I've seen lately. And if you want to go to the theatre, go and see John, both of which I've seen in the last uh, couple of weeks, and both okay, a, few, a few days, and both of which really explore some of these themes. Uh, you know, I understand the need for people just to kind of entertain themselves and to cut off, etc. But there are intelligent ways of doing that, and there are intelligent formats for adventure and other things. The superhero movies are just not part of that. It will be interesting to see if these this particularly successful superhuma, uh, superhero movie without is Black Panther gets anywhere at the Oscars next year because the we perceive the Oscars nowadays as being about art house movies that the bulk of people don't go and see. And it would be very interesting if, because of the huge amounts of money that it has made this movie and there are going to be sequels, I hate to say that in front of you, David, <laughs> whether <laughs> that Hollywood will reward that success with one of its big gongs. Well, quite often you're right. Quite often the, the more obscure, harder to understand and less money a film makes at the cinema, the more likely it is yeah. to win where, 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 where is the stuff that makes money? I mean, you're on the sequel point, you're abstract. The, 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 sort of the demise of Hollywood imagination is, 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 is wonderful. But how, how many, oh, yeah, Matt will know this, how many, how, how many Fast and Furious films have been made so far? I bet you're a, oh. I bet you're, I bet you're a Vin Diesel fan. Oh, I'm a huge, as you can imagine, yeah, oh. I'm a huge fan. I don't know, is it 11? There's about 15 of them. One of them, I do, this is, this is my problem, I do know that one of them was filmed in the Treasury. That's the only thing. They hired out the treasury and they drove some cars around. around, around so, so. Before Star Wars, the big movies were things like Taxi Driver, uh, The Godfather and so on. I mean, The Godfather is probably still one of the best movies ever made. Now, that was full of excitement, and it was, but it was also full of all these other things as well. And none of these films, for all the money that is spent upon them, but, but, is worth even a minute did, with, with, of with The With Godfather. greatest respect, Hollywood, uh, the industry that fills cinemas, fills with, with product, they're not really aiming at you you're, you're not the key market so don't so so um, why does my paper have to be full of bloody reviews of this <laughs> and why do we have to do the cultural cringe and pretend to ourselves that like it's all of some kind of great cultural significance and importance and that somehow right, or other right, right. the moment you have a black superhero is a moment of utter liberation for humanity when it is no such thing it is yet another moment that marks the infantilization of the human spirit can I come in here and say three billboards is very good? And it's just, <laughs> it, and apparently it's exactly like rural Missouri. And how do I know this? Because Clayton Crabtree, the wonderfully named designer for Bricks and Mortar, comes from a small town in Missouri. And it is a great, thoughtful film 
with quite a lot of, of adventure and a certain amount of moral hazard in it. I think you'll feel better. I've enjoyed how <laughs> Wedbox has turned into a film review show. But, you know, I have a feeling that um, listeners will have stronger views on this than anything else we've discussed. Let us know what you think. Tweet us at Times Wedbox, post on Facebook, or email us wedbox at thetimes.co.uk and we'll try to share some of your, your views uh, next week. That's all we've got time for, unfortunately, this episode. Remember to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or on your Android device and sign up to my daily morning email at the times.co.uk forward slash red box but for now from Anne Ashworth James Kirker David Ivanovich and me Matt Jolly it's goodbye thank you for downloading to discover more head to thetimes.co.uk this episode of politics without the boring bits is brought to you by Luton Rising owners of London Luton Airport the UK's most socially impactful airport Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.